more soccer and snow and smoke. We told you we were going to have plenty of coverage from the Women's World Cup. And indeed we are. I hope you enjoyed our last episode with Jeremy and Caroline Lurgio. They're live from Wellington, New Zealand, giving you a little bit of what it's like to be on the ground at the Women's World Cup. We've got a little bit more of that today and two new guests making their debut on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. I'm here with Colin and Mike from the Footy Travelers podcast. And guys, why don't you just introduce yourselves? Totally, yeah. Hey, everyone out there uh, in Montana. We are currently in Port Campbell, Australia, a little town on the Great Ocean Road outside of Melbourne. And we've been traveling for the Women's World Cup 2023 since the first day of the tournament. Um, It's our fifth World Cup overall, but our first Women's World Cup. And we've been really excited to dive deeper into the women's game, experience it firsthand, um, make some comparisons, and share the experience most of all with our audience and and now your audience as well uh, here uh, through our Instagram page and giving people a taste of what it's like not just to travel, not just to go to soccer games, but to do both uh, in a combined way and, and really experience all that these tournaments, these international tournaments have to offer. Yeah, give everybody the quick lowdown here on your guys' project, the Footy Travelers podcast, social media, etc. When did that start? What's the 311 on that? Yeah, I love this question. So Colin and I uh, met back in college, played soccer together, uh, and then lived abroad in Thailand. And we both sort of shared the same passion to want to, you know, experience soccer now that our playing days were kind of over. And and so we decided to go to South Africa in 2010. And then we just got the bug and realized how amazing the the World Cup is and how amazing uh, traveling the world for soccer is. And um, so since 2010, we went to every men's world cup. So that was South Africa, Brazil, Russia, Qatar. And during our travels, we had so many people, um, you know, we, we have these capes that we wear that sort of show all the world cups that we've been to. And a lot of the questions that people had were, why haven't you been to any women's world cups, especially being USA fans and rightfully so. And very rightfully so. And so, um, I think we were, you know, considering France in um, in in 2019, but couldn't make it happen. And so we we said we needed to make sure that we got to New Zealand and Australia for this one. And we've been really really excited about just the the different perspectives that we've gotten um, being at a, uh, a women's international uh, tournament. And we've we've met so many great people. And, and honestly, the the reason for us starting the Footy Travelers podcast which is about a year and a half old um, is to share stories and build community around people that have been around the world and experience uh, soccer and through that kind of fans perspective. So we, we don't really go into depth about what happens on the pitch. We're more so uh, the culture and the lifestyle and the community that happens off the pitch. So what you do on rest days when you're not uh, traveling for matches or where to go when you're in a new city uh, for a match and, you know, what you should get to eat, what you should do from a tourist perspective and, you know, be able to build that community and get some recommendations to people when, when we go to different places. And it's been, it's been a great journey. We've met a, a lot of amazing people and excited to meet even more, uh, especially being able to be introduced to a, a new audience for us as we haven't made our way to Montana yet. But, um, 
but yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a fun project for sure. Super cool. Colin and Mike with the footy travelers podcast, joining us here on soccer and snow and smoke. The connection here is a guy who you've heard on soccer and snow and smoke before our guy, Marcus Cranston, who's somewhat of a footy traveler himself. Put me in connection with these two guys. They're super enthusiastic about coming on, and I think it's awesome to have people doing exactly what they were just talking about, experiencing the game, traveling the world. So super glad that these guys were willing to come on and sort of share their travels a little bit with us here on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Guys, just real quick, uh, if people are interested, where can they find your podcast, your social media, etc., just for, for future reference? Absolutely. Yeah. You can find the podcast pretty much anywhere you would listen to podcasts. So Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, we're on iHeartRadio, um, et cetera, Amazon music. And then we do, uh, we're pretty active on Instagram when it comes to social media. Our handle is at footy travelers. Uh, and Mike may be starting a TikTok pretty soon. The TikTok is in the works for, it's, it's a little bit more effort than I was anticipating, but we're going to, we're going to get out there. We're putting a lot of video content out there because that's, what uh, a lot of people enjoy and it helps really you know promote the podcast for sure and so yeah one of the, I, I always say and, and you'll see it on our um, footy travelers kits that we make we make we've had two uh, iterations of these jerseys that we're currently wearing and uh, our our next kit drop is coming soon and, and it says right on the front footytravelers.com so if anyone wants to check out where we're at footytravelers.com we'll give them the link tree and they'll see uh, pretty much everything we're doing. That's exciting and inspiring. Maybe it'll lead to some social media here for soccer and snow and smoke. You can't find us right now on any social media, but you can always find soccer and snow and smoke on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Soccer and snow and smoke is brought to you as always by Blackfoot communications as well as Zootown sports cards right here in downtown Missoula. Guys, I think let's just start off here. Give everybody a sense of, of your itinerary, what you've been doing, what games you've been going to, how you got over to Australia in the first place for this Women's World Cup, just what you guys have been up to. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually arrived the morning of the start of the tournament, Thursday, July 20th, I believe that was. Um, not uh, before I actually spent a few days in L.A. a little early before our flight. Uh, from LAX to Auckland, attending the CONCACAF Gold Cup final uh, between Mexico and yeah. Panama. Um, so just Yet to, you forget. <laughs> it was a Mexico game. As a USA fan, I try to forget those, uh, those matchups. Um, but just to give you a sense of, you know, maybe a little how, how addicted we are to traveling for soccer. I had to squeeze that one in there before the Women's World Cup. But anyway, yeah, we got here first day of the tournament uh, into Auckland. We were able to attend the opening ceremony and match with some uh, local Kiwi friends of ours. Shout out to Sam and Meg. Um, got to see New Zealand win their first ever World Cup game, uh, thanks to their ladies in the football ferns against Norway. So that was pretty incredible to be a part of. The crowd was really energetic. Uh, we were in a section that had some, um, we call them capos, uh, I guess, in, in the game. And they were leading chants in our section. Uh, this one particular gentleman, and then we saw a young girl, couldn't be more than five years old behind him, kind of taking his lead and starting her own chance and getting the the crowd going. Um, and it was just I don't know, really inspiring and, and heartwarming to see, you know, the younger fans really get excited for uh, for the game and for the tournament right from the get-go. 
And then we, uh, we stayed in Auckland for a couple more days. We got to see the U.S. women take on Vietnam. 3-0 victory. Um, not as maybe convincing as we were anticipating. Um, but again, always great to see the women, the U.S. women win. From there, um, it was time to travel a little bit in between the group games. So before we got to Wellington for the second group game, against the Netherlands. Uh, we stopped in Taupo, or Topol, as the locals properly pronounce it. We always struggle with some of our pronunciations, but we're working on them. Um, saw some more friends of ours, and uh, then moved on to Wellington. Crossed the Cook Strait after the second group game, and made our way through wine country in Marlboro. Uh, finished out the South Island with Kaikoura and Christchurch, um, which meant we didn't actually see the USA-Portugal game in stadium, uh, but we watched it from a local pub down on the South Island. And now we are here in Australia. So we flew over from Christchurch to Melbourne and serendipitously had tickets to the round of 16 game here in Melbourne. It happened to be the USA versus Sweden. So we were there for that. Uh, we had a great view of the penalty shootout at the end of the game. Um, Y'all can find that on Instagram under our handle at footy travelers, Uh, every penalty shot kind of condensed into a quick little fan point of view video. Uh, But now we're here traveling the great ocean road in Victoria, Australia, before we head out to Perth and finally on to Sydney where we actually have tickets to the final. So uh, thinking it would be incredible if Australia made that final and we got to be there for it uh, since the U S is now out, but Either way, I think we'll have a good time and excited to get to our first World Cup final. You guys have so much experience doing this by now. How do you put together an itinerary like that? Obviously, you have some fixed points because you have the games that you have tickets to. When you're planning this in the, in the months before, in the weeks before, how do you go about putting together, uh, especially the days in between games, what you want to see, what you want to do, and sort of uh, getting the logistics of all that down? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's one that we get often and it's one of the ones that kind of inspired us to want to put the podcast together because after a handful of world cups people would come to us and say how do you even do it how do you get match tickets how do you buy the flights or figure out what to do when you're not going to matches and so um this is a question that we we answer all the time and and one of the things that is so remarkable about what we've built so far is that a lot of times we lean on our community and the people that we've met and that's you know one of the reasons that we wanted to do this was a lot of people have already prior insight. And and so when we're in certain areas, we are asking folks what it is best to do or people that have already experienced, you know, traveling through New Zealand and Australia, what would you recommend? What are things to do? Fortunately for this trip, uh, Colin has already been to both countries several times. And so I get to play, kind of play, you know, passenger along the way a little bit. Um, although trying to make some, of my own recommendations and want to do a few things that I'm a bit passionate about. So we're, we really just, we try to map it out. So we allow ourselves the opportunity to not only be at matches, but be able to be a a proper tourist, right? We don't want to have the life of, you know, say a journalist that, you know, goes to the match city, goes to and from the hotel, you know, eats at the hotel restaurant and then leaves the country. We want to be able to immerse ourselves in the culture do some really cool stuff. I mean, 
some of the, the things that we've done so far are fairly unique, I would say. Um, one of them being we went on a wild pig hunt in Kaikoura. Um, that was kind of presented to us just through some opportunities that we've had in relationships that we've had with some people in New Zealand. And so we try to leave enough space where we can flex a little bit, but we, we kind of have like the, the, I wouldn't say the bucket list, but the, the priority things that we want to, we want to do and how we fit that in. Um, Colin is a master spreadsheeter. So this trip has a, an incredible spreadsheet with every piece of detail in it. And it's, um, that's part of the fun, honestly, is like the planning part. And uh, one of the things that we, we like to offer to people is with our, you know, community that we've been building and our travel experience is to come to us and ask, you know, Hey, have you guys been to Seattle or what's it like going to Rio? How do you, what would you recommend doing there? Um, that's the type of thing that we want to encourage people to do because sure, we're not travel experts, but I think we have experienced a lot of different unique places and we don't want to just do the standard tourist um, route. We, we try to find unique experiences. And if we don't know uh, pers- uh, personally or firsthand from our own lived experiences at this point, we're, you know, we've made connections around the world and we're, we probably know someone who can answer a question about a specific place. So, and, and I would say kind of going back to the, the question around how we sort of started, that is honestly how the footy travelers first world cup experience began. We were living in Thailand. I was on a trip to one of the Southern islands and I met a South African couple who I just started talking to them about soccer, even though they didn't really love soccer, but I was essentially saying, Hey, you must be really excited. You're about to host the 2010 world cup. And even though they were like, yeah, we're not really interested, but you seem to be interested. Um, you have a place to crash if you need, and we'll show you around. Well, I took up that offer very legitimately and, and presented it to Colin. And that's honestly what started the ball rolling for the footy travelers first world cup. And, and, and it's kind of all been history from there. It's meeting those people and making those connections and, and, and really just knowing that the community is so supportive and, and interested in helping each other out. And that's what I think is kind of part of the DNA of the, the footy travelers. That's an awesome story to hear, particularly about how you guys started this. You mentioned a wild pig hunt. Has that been the coolest sort of uh, non-game thing that you guys have done this trip? Or, or what have been the other sort of interesting between games things that you guys have managed to do? But also, I just kind of want to hear more about... Uh, the wild pig hunt that you mentioned. <laughs> I mean, the wild pig hunt is definitely at the top of the list. For In sure. terms of uniqueness, for yeah. sure, yeah. While we were on the the, the hunt, uh, if you will, I mentioned to Mike, and my wife Kelsey is with us, um, joining the Footy Travelers crew here down under. And, uh, you know, I just asked, how many World Cup goers or Footy Travelers are going on a pig hunt? And Mike just looked at me and said, three <laughs> the three of us yeah so very unique very uh, very kiwi i guess you do a good job of living off the land i will say I, I will i will say one of the things that i mean we've been doing a lot of great things and I'll, I, i'm definitely interested in sharing a few of them but one that we also had in kaikoura that i know um colin and i appreciated is we actually kind of separated uh for the day and 
I really enjoy hiking and there are some amazing mountains in Kaikoura that just overlook the, the beautiful South Pacific uh, waters and Colin's a big surfer. And so we experienced uh, a, simultaneously a day where I was hiking in the snow-capped mountains of Kaikoura looking down on the turquoise water that Colin was therefore surfing in. And so um, even though we were both freezing because it is winter down here and Colin had a wetsuit and I had a million layers on, we, we both kind of experienced two very different parts of Kaikoura uh, in simultaneous fashion, which was very, very cool. Um, I mean, my night last night was pretty, pretty remarkable and spectacular. We're, we're currently in Port Campbell on the Great Ocean Road in Australia, which uh, is probably most well-known for the 12 apostles that line the coastline. And um, so I went out in the middle of the night and kind of went the freezing cold, total darkness, and did some astrophotography with the, the 12 apostles on the, in the foreground and saw a lot of wildlife, some kangaroos, some wallabies, uh, heard a lot of penguins below me on the cliffs. And it was... I was by myself. There was no one else there. And uh, it was a little bit scary, but (laughs) it was also came out to be a really cool moment. And so it's just, you know, finding our passions. Photography is a big passion of mine. Colin, like I said, a big surfer and just doing what we want to do. And um, I mean, I think the food we've had has also been a pretty cool experience. We've we've been trying a lot of the local cuisine um, because we do we jokingly call the footy travelers uh, sometimes the foodie travelers because uh, we do try to get as much of the, the good eats as we can. Um, what other experiences am I forgetting? Yeah, I'll go back to New Zealand and talk about the North Island where we tried to do, and I say tried, uh, one of my wife's favorite hikes in the world, she has said, the Tongariro Alpine Crossing which we have done in the past. It's about a 12-mile, 19-kilometer hike. In the summer. Um, we've done it in the summer, but it takes you across some volcanic uh, landscape, some, uh, like hot spring lakes, beautiful turquoise blue and green and red lakes um, because of all the minerals up there. It actually takes you past Mount Narahoe, which uh, for any of our Lord of the Rings fans will remember as Mount Doom in those, uh, those movies in that series. Um, winter is a different story. <laughs> we were heavily warned to take um, ice axes and crampons, which we, uh, we rented from a slightly reticent outfitter um, in the national park area. But we convinced her that we were experienced hikers, you know, me coming from the Mountain West in Denver um, at the moment. And Mike, again, as he mentioned earlier, being a, a pretty avid hiker himself growing up in New Hampshire. But anyway, um, properly equipped ourselves and we made it halfway and we're just met with gale force winds and um, sideways rain. And at that point, at that elevation, hail. So we turned around um, and called it a day for safety and comfort. But that was quite, quite a unique experience that I don't think other footy travelers had either. I think uh, part of that experience that was fairly unique is we could maybe comfortably say that we saved a life as well. <laughs> Uh, maybe, why don't you maybe. explain explain what happened there? Well, when we turned around, there was a, a section of the hike of the trail right uh, near some some porta potties. You know, um, they want to keep the, the area 
clean from from human waste, and so they've set up some in, infrastructure and facilities for that. And we uh, we paused to get into these uh, structures to kind of put new layers on because we were soaked. And uh, my wife went into one in particular, um, or tried to, and then there was a, a, a girl in there. And she's like, "Oh, sorry," closes the door, finds another one, changes. Um, and when she comes out, I hadn't seen her interact with this girl at first. She, um, she comes out, my wife and asks, is there a girl out here? Is there a woman? And I'm looking around. I'm like, no one's here. It's just us. Like this is no one's hiking today. And we probably shouldn't be either. And so I thought, well, is she already experiencing hypothermia? Is she, is she hallucinating? She goes in back into the, uh, original porta porta potty. And there is this girl sitting in there and, she was just hiding from the wind and she said she was scared and um, she was maybe a little under equipped for the, the weather that day and the journey um, and was traveling by herself, hiking by herself. And this porta potty so, is not like your American style porta potty kind of like plastic. These are like in phone booths. Yeah. And so though they are shielding people from the elements, it's not very well. And the weather was getting worse. And we had seen in the forecast that it was going to get worse and potentially snow and a lot of wind. And there was no reason that she should be bunkering down to wait for the weather to improve. Yeah, she would have been waiting overnight, which would not have been good. Um, but we convinced her to join us uh, in turning around. Her car was where we parked as well. So it was a safe bet for everyone. And uh, we hiked down with her um, and then ran into her at the only local pub in the small town just outside of the hike in the national park. Um, and she was with, um, I want to say it was a, a partner or maybe a boyfriend or something, but, uh, he was not with her on the hike, no, he was not. but, uh, yeah, we, uh, maybe, maybe not saved, saved her from some unpleasant discomfort at the very least. Yeah. Crazy stories. I love hearing those stories about just what you get up to between the games because, you know, you're going over there to watch the World Cup, but you have so much time between these games. What's been your favorite thing that you've, you've eaten? Ooh, I'm actually, okay. I'm, there's been so much good food. I will say it's a tie between we've had a traditional kiwi lamb roast um, from our hosts, um, and that was that was tremendous and and it felt you know like i mentioned we want to immerse in the culture so we want to have the the best uh meals possible and and part of that culture is just having good food um also kaikora uh is the actually the the maori name for crayfish meal um that's what it means and so crayfish is really big in kaikora um because it is the capital of it so we had um some traditional crayfish while we were there as well which it was kind of like lobster, um, not your traditional crayfish that you would maybe think of in like Bayou. New Orleans, yet Bayou in New Orleans and stuff. Um, and that was fantastic. But I'll actually give a testament to not what we've eaten, but what we've drank. So we did a bike tour of all the, not all the wineries, uh, a very small selection of the wineries in the Marlboro country uh, region of um, New Zealand, which is very well known for it's Sauvignon Blanc. That's the biggest export of wine that they, they have there. There are over 150 wineries in that region. And we did a very um, thorough bike tour around a lot of them. And uh, I will say I have an even greater appreciation for, for New Zealand wines after that very long day of drinking. 
And if anyone's looking for a very specific recommendation, um, our last night in New Zealand was spent in Christchurch, and we found, my wife found, I have to give her credit, a place called Gatherings on the north side of the, the central business district. I want to say it's off Victoria Street. Um, uh, vegetarian and pescatarian meal, um, but we did the tasting menu and got a taste of everything. Everything's locally sourced. Uh, natural wines, organic wines there. Check out Gatherings um, in Christchurch if anyone's down there. That was a, a really great meal out uh, when it came to, to traveling. So. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you in part by Blackfoot Communications. Stay connected with Blackfoot Communications. Whatever your internet and phone needs, whether they're business or personal, go to goblackfoot.com to see how they can help you stay connected. And if you're a small business, see how they can help you grow your business with their Connect to More program. That's goblackfoot.com. Thank you to Blackfoot Communications. Thank you as well to our other sponsor in Zootown Sports Cards, Missoula's hub for all things sports card and memorabilia collecting. Located in the Stevens Center at 2100 Stevens Avenue, nice and central to everything in the Garden City, and with a great collection of sports cards for you to peruse, whether you're looking for packs or for singles. Still running our Soccer and Snow and Smoke podcast special at Zootown Sports Cards. Go down there and let them know that you heard about them on the podcast. They'll hook up a special deal for you. I've got to get down there myself to see how their inventory's changed. It's always changing, always new stuff to look at. That's Zootown Sports Cards, 2100 Stevens Avenue in the Stevens Center. Big thanks to both of our sponsors. Now back to soccer and snow and smoke. Colin and Mike from the Footy Travelers podcast here on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Sharing tales of death-defying escapades, dropping a little local knowledge, even helping you learn a little Maori. Those guys are over in New Zealand and then Australia. They're in Australia now. Course for the Women's World Cup. Great stories, guys. What has it been like in the stadiums? What, what have you thought of the atmosphere around the games when you've gotten to those? What have you thought about just, uh, you know, Australia and New Zealand hosting this this event? I would say for us, the in-stadium experience has been pretty phenomenal. Um, we were, again, lucky enough to get to that opening ceremony and opening match where New Zealand played against Norway. Um, it was in Auckland in Eden Park, which is their national stadium. So they'll host a lot of uh, rugby games there, all blacks games there. We went to the USA-Vietnam game, also in Auckland. USA fans travel really well, especially for this tournament. We've seen – we went to the usa Netherlands game in Wellington, another, um, I would say, well-attended tournament. Or, sorry, a well-attended game. Um, so the, the, the atmosphere has been great, I think, in the stadiums for the games that we have been to. We've also seen on TV some games uh, where there's a lot of empty seats. So I think it has depended on who's playing uh, in a particular match, where it is. I want to say the crowd in Australia is a bit more enthusiastic about soccer uh, and women's soccer when it, you compare it to New Zealand, New Zealand being a very heavy rugby country, um, taking a lot of great pride in the success of their all blacks teams. Um, but o- overall, you know, I, I've been impressed with how excited everyone is about the women's game. Um, I think it's, you know, it's definitely grown over the, the last several years. We've seen a lot of, families and mother-daughter pairs um, or mother-daughter groups traveling. 
Um, definitely a, fr- a family-friendly atmosphere, um, but also, again, lively and exciting when you get into those stadiums and, and, and sit down in the seats and watch the game. So I don't know. Yeah, I would say, you know, that's one of the questions we've been getting asked a lot, given the fact that we've been to to so many World Cups and this being our first Women's World Cup where people ask, what's the biggest difference between attending a Men's World Cup versus a Women's? And I would say the 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 positivity, the camaraderie, the family-friendly oriented nature of it all. Um, there's less contention. There's more openness and respect for each other, both on the pitch and off the pitch, which I think has been really great. I mean, we've, we, we go to the, the stadium in these red, white, and blue onesies. Um, so we catch a lot of people's eyes and they want to take photos of us and hear about what we're doing and where we come from. And I think just the, the nature of people wanting to engage with others just feels a little bit more um, welcoming. It, it just sort of it, it, more organic. And whereas with the men's, what we've experienced is, um, you know, people kind of stick to their herds a little bit more. Um, they'll, they'll hang with their, their country's fan base a little bit more and uh, maybe not interact as much. That's my perspective. I can't say that that's actually, you know, the truth or not, but what I've, what I've felt like going into the stadium has been uh, just really enjoyable environment, safe environment. Um, There's access to, you know, much better variety of food and drink than compared to say Qatar, uh, which barely had either of the two. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, we've just been really fortunate to see some really good matches um, and the, the access to, to watching them in other areas. We watched the, the Australian uh, most recent match at the, the FIFA Fan Fest um, in Melbourne, which was really exciting. Tons and tons. I mean, how many people were probably there? Probably It was probably like several thousand. Yeah, I would say close to 10,000 people probably watching, watching there uh, live on the, on the screen, which it was, it's been a really great environment uh, in the stadiums, but even outside the stadiums, that's, that's one of the reasons we come to this is, is, is the spectacle of it all. The only thing I would say that I wish there was maybe more of in the stadiums was uh, FIFA allowing for more organization of larger groups of fans in the same section so that we could get, you know, some drums and some cheering going. It's been fairly spread out in the ticket allocation. Um, so you may notice our, our horse voices, <laughs> Uh, from trying to get our section that we were in um, going with some cheers and chants at the USA Sweden game, which at this point is a couple of days ago. So we're, we're still recovering from that. And maybe FIFA could have helped us out by letting uh, our groups organize into larger, larger sections, but we're just giving us some lozenges. 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 That's the word. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you think FIFA could uh, could spread the game pretty well with that. They had just handed out FIFA-branded cough drops to everybody at these games yeah. after the game. Try to get your voice back so that when you're back in the stadium for the next game three days later, they can hear exactly. you through the TV. And it's winter, you know, so lozen- lozenges are probably, uh, you know, a welcomed addition. Probably more welcome than Vuvuzela's, I would say. Yeah. For you guys, what's it like getting these tickets? I mean, if, if somebody's considering doing a trip like this and attending a World Cup and going to, you know, four, five, six games, what was it like for you guys to, to sort of get access to the stadiums to get these tickets? Yeah, I'd say we've had the most success getting tickets simply just through FIFA.com. Um, they have their own ticketing platform. You know, you have to create an account to get into, into that sales point. 
um, and understanding the different sales phases. So, you know, a little bit of a experiential knowledge drop here. They do four phases typically, um, two of which are identical. So they'll do a application or lottery phase. Um, you put in how many tickets you want uh, to what games you want. For past men's tournaments, they've done different package combinations, if you will. Maybe you want to follow a specific team. Maybe you just want to go to a specific stadium and lock into a city. So you can apply for those types of tickets there. Um, and then they'll close that period. They'll see how many applications they get. And they'll, if there's more applications than tickets in that window, it'll go to a lottery system. They'll pause and then they'll open the next phase as a first come first served uh, phase. You choose the games you want again. And if they're available, you just buy them on the spot. They'll repeat those two phases uh, once again, typically. And then the, the fifth and final phase is basically just a first come first serve last minute sales phase that runs from when it opens until the end of the tournament. They've also done a resale platform uh, over the last few World Cups. Um, so that's a good spot to find tickets uh, if you want some last minute purchases there. Otherwise, you know, just kind of getting connected to whatever your community is. Um, you know, we're American Outlaws members. And sometimes American Outlaws will get an allocation and we can buy through them or U.S. soccer even. Uh, again, a little different with this Women's World Cup. But uh, Facebook groups have popped up and little ticket exchange platforms uh, kind of on social media. So you might have a friend reach out and say, I have two tickets to this game I'm looking to get rid of and they can you know, privately sell it to you and then transfer those tickets across FIFA accounts. Um, or, or just gift them to you, however, however they want to do that. One of the things that we do, uh, knowing when we're going to be going to a World Cup specifically, is we look at when all of these ticket sales phases start, and specifically the time in which they start, and we put it on a calendar. And oftentimes these lotteries uh, will happen really late in the evenings on our time zones. Uh, I think we recall when we were applying for men's uh, World Cup for Russia, we were waking up at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. trying to log in and, and wait in the queue. Um, maybe not as difficult as maybe getting a Taylor Swift ticket right now, but I think there's a lot more options available. Um, and I'd say the biggest difference with this World Cup compared to the men's is that the tickets prices and the accessibility to the tickets um, for the Women's World Cup has been much better Um Tickets are averaging between maybe 40 to 60 U.S. dollars for the women's tickets on maybe the lower categories, the, the cheaper versions. Uh, whereas in the Men's World Cup, you're paying around 140 or maybe a little bit higher for those cheapest options. And they're a little bit harder to get sometimes. So we've been really fortunate to really map out our agenda and our, our, our schedule and say which matches that we want to go to and which cities that we want to go to. And fortunately, we were able to to get uh, tickets to pretty much every match we wanted to, especially this will be our first World Cup final, um, which, you know, has been a goal of ours to, to try to go for the men and have not been able to even access them because uh, I, I think a lot of the corporate sponsors hold a lot of the tickets and um, the resale platform is obviously that's what everyone wants is to go to the final. So we're excited that we'll be able to go to do that and for our first time. So we're also really happy to help people 
uh, if they're interested in going to any matches, any whether it's World Cup matches or any you know clubs or, or anything like that, we're always here to try to kind of help people navigate the the ticketing buying uh, system because it changes depending on what tournament you're going to or what game you want to see. And um, I think it's probably the the biggest barrier to entry for a lot of people. It's very intimidating. Um, and so, you know, lean on us if, if we can help in any way. The footy travelers joining us here on soccer and snow and smoke, Colin and Mike coming to us live from Australia later in the evening here in Missoula. They're just getting their day started over there in Australia. A couple more weeks of this women's world cup to go. Guys, anything else that you wanted to mention sort of on the off-field stuff, the traveling part of it, the experiences that you had before we do just a little bit of some more quick hitters on what you've seen on the field? I mean, I, I think I'll just say that um, we, we've joked a little bit with some of our own podcast guests in the past, you know, buy on the dips is the phrase we came up with. You know, get on the train now when it comes to football or soccer or footy or whatever you want to call it. Um, the game is coming to America. Uh, it, it's it's here, but it's still coming. It's still arriving with the you know arrival of Messi is probably the best example. Uh, Beckham before that in MLS. The World Cup is being hosted in 2026. Um, it's it's just one of the greatest experiences I think you can have with other people in the world. It's it's the global game, and the more we travel for soccer. And the more people we connect with, the more I think we realize what a unifying activity, what a unifying sport this is. You know, music transcends different cultures, but, you know, different genres might um, be something to uh, to maybe disagree on. When it comes to soccer, I mean, soccer is soccer. Football is football. Um, it's the same game in all countries around the world. And it's one of the, I would argue, one of the only things that truly transcends um you know, the human experience uh, across across the globe. So, again, it's coming to the States 2026, the Men's World Cup, and we might get the Women's World Cup the summer after that if we, uh, if we get that bid. So um, now is the time to get into it, get excited for it, build some, build some muscle memory in your ticket purchasing and your traveling and getting into stadiums and just, um, just also being able to show up for that Men's World Cup in 2026 and show the world a good time. Let's show them what... USA can bring as far as hosting uh, a major event for the world's greatest game. That's sort of one of the unifying themes of, of soccer and snow and smoke. This thing that I've started up here in Montana is just soccer is a game that's able to bring everybody together. And I've been able to make some great connections through this podcast. I think we've had a great diversity of guests on this podcast. And that's sort of what I'm shooting for is just letting everybody who I have on tell their story and, and tell their background with the game and, and tell everybody why they love it so much, so that's cool to hear from you guys. Real quick before I get you out of here, a little bit just about what you've seen on the field over there, and I think that starts probably with the U.S. women's national team, as you mentioned. You were there watching for that round of 16 game against Sweden, the incredibly tense penalty shootout that was taking place past 5 o'clock in the morning here in Missoula. What was that experience like, and then sort of on a more meta-level What's been your take on the U.S. women's team this tournament? They're going to be one of the big stories coming out of this tournament, the earliest that they've ever exited from a World Cup. What do you guys take out of this tournament, and what's been your thoughts on the U.S. women's national team? 
Yeah, I mean, to answer your first question in terms of how it was being in that stadium, uh, I would call it an emotional roller coaster. Um, even more so beforehand, because I had the pleasure of being able to meet Brendan Hunt, aka Coach Beard, at the pregame party, which was a which was a nice little highlight for me. And so we were riding high, we were very confident, um, and we were, I think, even more exceptionally confident after the first half of that. Um, match we we were playing really well and we felt like we were going to be able to come away with a win and so then when it went to extra time and then it went to penalties and knowing how well the Swedish keeper was playing we were maybe I think our, our confidence was maybe waning a little bit and so you know our POV from the the penalties was um, I would say pretty strong and, and we were able to get um some footage of, of where we were sitting and, and put that onto our, our Instagram reel so you can see every single shot and have a different angle of what we were seeing. And, I mean, everyone's been, you know, hyper-analyzing every angle of that PK, um, specifically the, the final one. And I think at the end of it, it was a bit shell shock. We, we really felt like this was the best that the U.S. team had played in their four matches uh, that we had seen and really deserved to come out with the victory. And, you know, the, the kind of the chaos that ensued after uh, that final shot where we felt like we had saved it and that, that Alyssa had made the save and that there was uh, more penalties to come. And to have a match end in penalties is already really gut-wrenching and, and, and difficult. But then for it to end in a VIR review just made it even more of a gut punch and um, – it, we've still been processing it. Uh, honestly, it's been it's been uh, pretty challenging. Yeah, I didn't believe it at first. I'll be honest. <laughs> there was some denial um, in the day after, even you know, a whole twenty four hours after that shot. But um, you know, when it comes to the overall performance, you know, I, I think it's I think the best way to describe it for me is that it's uh, just a transitional phase in U.S. women's soccer. You know, we had three players coming in for their fourth World Cup. Um, a lot of players making their first appearance. That's, that's you know, 16 years worth of uh, experience to uh, to negotiate. So whether or not putting this group together, um, this specific group was the best decision, uh, is up for debate perhaps. But I think, you know, it was a little too little too late. We didn't score very much in the group stage uh, beyond the Vietnam game. You know, we need to put balls in the back of the net both during – regulation and then penalty kick shootouts. I thought we could have played a little stronger up top, held the ball up a little better, um, finished some of our chances. You know, you might expect players like Alex Morgan, uh, Megan Rapino to make their shots, Kelly O'Hara. But overall, again, with this transition that's coming in U.S. women's soccer um, is also the transition in global women's soccer. I think more countries are getting stronger in their game. There's more investment going into the women's game in different countries. Uh, and so the competition is obviously uh, greater. And that's, to me, a positive to kind of take from this. You know, we'll, we'll sit here kind of hurt that the women went out so early. But I think we'll also be encouraged to know that the competition is there to push us even further. Our youngest players are superstars. Uh, they're winning MVP awards. And come the next Women's World Cup, you know, they're going to have this experience and this little chip on their shoulder. And I think that's only going to make them stronger and they're going to grow from it. So disappointing in the moment, long game, long-term thinking. I think this actually will 
serve us well uh, as our younger players develop. So I'm, I'm optimistic. And with the U.S. out now, how do you guys see this tournament? I mean, who's your favorite now? I mean, U.S. is out, Germany out in the group stage, but a ton of great teams still in there. Japan's looked really good. Spain's looked really good. France looked really good in the round of 16. Of course, England is still in. Where do you guys see this this tournament now? I would say uh, I have a, a head and a heart here. Um, in my head, I think Japan is the favorite. I think they have the highest likelihood of going through and winning it all. Obviously, they have the experience to do it as well. Um, but my heart is telling me I really want the Matildas. I want Australia. We love seeing the host country perform well because it only makes the trips more exciting. Um, they have a great amount of energy and support, and I think it'll only get stronger. Um, now that Sam Kerr's back, I think that team is going to be difficult to play, um, knowing that they have that home field advantage, and we've seen that be a really key element. Um, I would say my dark horse could be Columbia. Um, they also have some pretty strong fan base here. They've traveled well. They're loud. They have a good core team. They're well-managed. So I would say if if you're asking me to put some money on it, I'd say Japan. If you're asking me where I'm rooting and, and who I want, I'd say Australia. And if Colombia comes out of it, um, more more excitement for us because we do want to see a first-time. I personally want to see a first-time World Cup winner. Yeah, I think Japan, England, France kind of scare me as far as who's going to win it. But, um, yeah, like Mike said, anytime the host country does well, it's a better environment for everyone in attendance. Um, not only, you know, the host country and their citizens and residents, but everyone here for it. So my heart's with the Matildas. Go Matildas. Up the Tillies. That would be an incredible story if Australia does get it done. We've got, of course, some some people back here in, in Missoula rooting for the Matildas as well. Chris Chitovitsky, head coach of the Montana Grizz soccer team, when we get him back on, wouldn't be surprised if he came into the studio in an Australia jersey because, of course, he spent time there growing up. Colin, Mike, anything else that you guys wanted to add here, just building off of what we've been talking about or any... Questions that you wish people have asked you that you haven't really been asked so far this tournament or, or just anything else you wanted to mention? Yeah, I'll just say keep an eye on uh, at Footy Travelers on Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast. We'll uh, be releasing our newest kit or our newest jersey pretty soon once we're back to the States. Mike's done a really great job of working with Icarus Football out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to design these kits. And um, they look pretty fresh, if I might say so. So. Um, we'll have those available for purchase uh, if anyone wants to kind of share their own passion for traveling for soccer. Or, like I said, if you buy on the dips and hop on board now, um, maybe getting your first soccer jersey to the footy travelers <laughs> could be a cool conversation piece for people who, uh, who may ask you, who, who is that? What is that team? Or you could just be an obsessive kit head like me and have far too many jerseys. Uh, I can't have enough. I'm, I'm leaving uh, – I'll be leaving, heading back to the States with at least one to maybe two or three more because uh, I will say that this tourney has uh, brought out some really spectacular kits as well. And and that's honestly one of the things that we, we love to talk about uh, because it connects people in a very different way than just talking about what happens on the pitch. And just the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, I think our motto at the end of our podcast is kind of the message that we try to bring to everyone as we meet them. Uh, traveling as we meet them online through the podcast. And that is just, you know, be loud, be proud, and be good to each other.
Um, support your team. Go nuts for those 90 minutes in the stadium. But when that final whistle blows, just know that we're all soccer fans. We're all here for the same reason. Um, the beautiful game brings us together. And outside of those 90 minutes, um, being together is kind of what it's all about for us. And we learn from each other. Um, you know, we have great experiences and stories to share with each other. And, you know, that, that's what makes us the footy travelers. It's Colin and Mike, the footy travelers. These guys are doing great work. You just heard where you can find these guys. If you want to listen to more of their stuff, support them, buy their kit. These guys were kind enough to take some time here on Soccer and Snow and Smoke to just let us know what it's like being over there in Australia, in New Zealand, for the Women's World Cup, a little bit of the traveling angle, what to do between the games. Really enjoyed that. So thank you again, guys. Hope to connect with you again in the future. Maybe you guys will find a reason to come out to Montana, whether that's soccer-related travel or not. We'd love to have you. But thanks again for doing this. Always looking for a reason to travel and would love to get up to Montana. Thanks for having us on. We'll connect with those guys again. Again, it's Colin and Mike from the Footy Travelers here on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you again by Blackfoot Communications as well as Zootown Sports Cards right here in Missoula. We'll bring you more content from the Women's World Cup. Still got plenty of intrigue left in this one as we are now waiting for the quarterfinals to begin. But that'll do it for this episode of Soccer and Snow and Smoke. For Colin and Mike all the way over there in Australia, I'm Andrew Houghton. Thanks for listening.